Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from out of Ashes Ministries in southwest Louisiana. And I hope you are doing incredibly, marvelously, fantastically well this week. Uh, just somebody needs to tell you that every week. I know I say it all the time, but you know what? Sometimes we, we just don't hear it, right? And uh, I want to be that person to say, hey, hey, you, listening? Wherever you are, in your car, at work, at home, dealing with, uh, dealing with kids, dealing with coworkers, dealing with spouses, dealing with whatever you're dealing with, I want to tell you, I hope you're having a great week, and I hope you continue to have a great week. So, hey, uh, welcome to Image Bearers Radio. I am super pumped that you are here, and uh, so thankful to Hebrew Nation Online that we get this opportunity. And so if it is your first time checking out the show, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. If uh, you are a long-time listener, thank you very, very, very much for sticking around and for creating an awesome community. I uh, love the feedback and, and all of the conversations and stuff being had around the radio show. It's awesome. So if you have comments, drop them in the comment section on Hebrew Nation or um, give us a review on iTunes. That would be great. I don't think I've ever asked for a review. Maybe I have. Um, but we are on iTunes as well, uh, Google Podcasts, all those places. So give us a review. would be really cool and really helpful. And uh, so, hey, what's coming up? Well, we are in today, as of the day of this recording, we are in day 38 of the Counting of the Omer. And tonight at sunset will be day 39. And so whenever you are hearing this, it'll be a different day, of course. But I hope that you, again, are counting the Omer. And uh, looking forward to Shavuot, which is just going to be in a couple of weeks. And uh, if you don't have anywhere to celebrate uh, and you're local to the southwest Louisiana area, then I invite you to come hang out with us um, Sunday, uh, Sunday, June the 5th. Right? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Sunday, June the 5th. It's Sunday. Um, and uh, we're going to start at 10 o'clock, our normal service time. We're going to have a service uh, to commemorate Shavuot. And then afterwards, of course, we're going to eat together. We'll have uh, stuff outside for the kids, water slides and different things, and just spend some family hangout time together uh, on Shavuot. And uh, so I'm really excited about it. We are also going to be live streaming our Shavuot service. So Sunday morning, uh, the 5th at 10, 10 a.m., jump on our website at outofashesministries.org, jump on Facebook, YouTube. It'll be at all the regular places that we usually stream our uh, Shabbat services to, our weekly Shabbat services to. And so uh, I invite you to hang out for that. If you have a local congregation, though, please go there uh, and celebrate with, with that community. That is always preferable. And um, see people, meet people physically, face-to-face. Uh, that's super duper important, especially uh, being the season that we're coming out of with COVID and all that other good stuff, uh, or not good stuff, but that other stuff. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Shavuot is coming. And then before you know it, we will be preparing for Yom Kippur. So 
Um, just awesome, you know. And then Sukkot will be here. Holy cow! And we'll start talking start talking about Sukkot uh, in the next couple of weeks because I've already had folks asking, "Hey, what are you guys doing for Sukkot? Can we come? What's the schedule like?" And so we'll be we're discussing that right now, and we'll be putting that out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the stuff that's going on. So before we get into this week's episode, as we always do, and I love doing this little prayer, um, let us go before the Father in prayer together today. Avinu Shabashamayam, our Father that's in heaven. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King. We are so incredibly thankful to be able to be together today. We love you and we love your word. And we just want to be more like you, closer to you, and bear your image better in our world. So help us today, Father, through Yeshua, our Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, so um, this week we are going to be actually in the Parsha. Uh, this week's Torah portion, if um, if you're following the traditional Parsha schedule, is Behukotai. And uh, we're going to be talking about Parsha Behukotai today. Uh, it is the last Parsha of Vi- the book of Vayikra of Leviticus. Tear. I know, right? I can't believe that we're through the book of Vayikra already. It's crazy. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to make a, a shameless plug real quick. Um, we are doing a series right now at OAM during our Shabbat uh, services on um, a little series I'm calling Having God's Personality. And uh, I, I know you know some of you may have listened to it. Some of you may have not. Uh, if you don't you know, follow us weekly, and, that, and that's cool. Just I want to invite you to, to check it out. Um, we you know, we've often talked about God's character. We often talk about God's presence, um, but rarely have I ever heard, you know, much on God's personality, and God does have a personality, and uh, the scriptures, you know, tell us about about his personality. He laughs, he, you know, he gets sorrowful, he gets regretful, uh, he's, you know, he, he gets joyful, he, he sings, he dances over us, all these things, and um, I just think that's a really fascinating discussion. So um, we are talking about God's personality. Uh, the first week was kind of an intro. The second week, we talked about love and loving kindness, and uh, we did some of that here uh, last week or week before on the radio show. And uh, last week, we talked about, um, uh, I'm sorry, we talked about holiness. Uh, the second week, love and loving kindness. The third week, and then last week, we talked about uh, hopefulness or hope. And I guess I should say we began uh, talking about hopefulness or hope. And uh, because as I dig into especially the subject of hope, um, wow, it's a it's a deep it's a deep hole. Uh, such such as it is, if we when when we lose hope. So um, last week's especially on hope was pretty raw and pretty um, transparent. And so I, if you're a person who feels like you're losing hope or um, has lost hope. And it's just, it's hard for you to connect with Hashem. It's hard for you to pray, maybe. It's hard to believe, maybe. You know, any of those any of those things. I would really like to invite you to listen uh, to last week's teaching. Uh, you can find it on YouTube as well as on our website. 
and um, yeah, just just check it out. And I think that um, you know a lot of folks, uh, we a lot of folks are walking around without hope or without as much hope as we should have. But we don't talk about it. We don't say anything about it because it looks like a lack of faith. And I want to push back against that. Uh, I, I want to I want to open up a conversation about what does it mean to have true biblical hope uh, in the way that the scriptures describe it, in the way that the biblical authors talked about it, in the way that the people um, of Israel were expected to uh, to have it and to to live in it. And um, yeah, so I invite you to, to check that out before we get into um, into this week's Parsha. I think it's uh, it's a good conversation and you may disagree. You may agree on some parts on all of it. I don't know. Uh, I don't even know that I understand it all yet, but I am uh, I think it's fundamentally uh, and foundationally important that we talk about it. So. All right. So that's my little commercial for our weekly Shabbat services. So check those out. Would love to have you. All right, so this week's Parsha, Behukotai, one of the harder Parsha titles to say, um, but not a big deal. We'll break it down. Um, this is the last Parsha of the book of Vayikra, and I can't believe we're already through the book of Vayikra already. It seems like, um, and I, I hope this is, I hope this can encourage you, and uh, this may be your, your journey. It may not be. Hopefully, it will be. But, um, you know, I talk about this all the time, you know, before I, my eyes were open to Torah and even in the first several years, first, maybe six or eight, maybe even 10 years or so of, of, of pursuing the Torah and learning the Torah. Um, the book of Leviticus, the book of Vayikra was just, ugh, it was just hard, right? Hard to get our minds around, hard to understand, um, hardest probably of all to apply, um, in some kind of meaningful way. And um, so, I, but as I started to really look at the temple and study the temple, I really started to get a, a better grip on Vayikra. And when you see things through a temple-centric lens, especially in, in Vayikra because of the, the priestly um, you know, material that's there, it really does help on all three of those things to get your mind around it, to understand it, and to really uh, apply things, the wisdom of Vayikra, in a meaningful way. So, uh I hope that you, you find that being the case, that you're falling more and more in love with the book of Vayikra. Number one, because of the title. The name of the book is, and he called, Vayikra. And he called, right? And so that's, if we want to follow God's calling, this is the book for us. This is the manual for God's calling, uh, as odd as it may seem. And it is the center book of the Torah. Secondly, it's the center book of the Torah uh, that all the books kind of, hub around, you know, that, that is the hub of the Torah. And, um, it's a, it's a a fantastic, uh, communication of love and loyalty and acceptance and, and calling and inviting from Hashem. It's just an absolutely beautiful book. This week's, uh, Parsha, the last Parsha, Behukotai. So let's talk about that meaning a little bit, right? Before we jump into it. Uh, it can seem like a really hard word to say, and but it's it's really simple when we break it down. And I'm not a Hebrew grammar grammar grammar. I don't. I'm not an expert in Hebrew grammar, uh, or you know, or Hebrew Hebrew language. I can barely kind of cobble together some readings of it, and my pronunciation is really bad. But all that aside, <laughs> I do know a couple things, and um, this was really helpful for me. So 
Um, of course, we know the translation is uh, in my statutes or in my decrees or something like that, depending on how, uh, you know, whatever you're reading translates it. Um, but that's really that's really the, the, the name in my statutes and in my decrees. And, and how do we get that? Well, we know that there are mitzvot, right? Commandments. There are mishpatim. There are judgments. And there are chukot or a chok. A chok is a so you have commandments right which is the big family of the mitzvot 613 according to the rabbis or you know however many you count um, there are commandments mitzvot so that's kind of the big the big family inside of or, or the composition of the mitzvot fall in generally two larger categories and those are hukim and mishpatim and Mishpatim are judgments, right? We actually have a Parsha named Mishpatim. That's Exodus uh, Shemot 21, Exodus 21, um, judgments, right? Um, so the, the mitzvot, the mitzvah is usually the general commandment. Uh, the mishpat or the judgment is uh, how we walk out those commandments. Um, and they're, they're more rational kind of communal commandments that you go like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, like, hey, if you have a hole in your yard and somebody falls in it, it's on you. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. Uh, like, hey, put a railing up around your second story so somebody didn't fall off and hurt themselves. Okay, I got it, right? Um, it, it's rational stuff. Uh, Hukim, however, uh, the Hulk is described by the sages as supra-rational. So they're commandments that uh, we, we tend to not be able – we tend to not be able to understand – from our our standpoint, from our, our human kind of rational mind, we tend to not be able to understand them. Um, and it can be a little dangerous because if something is not super clear, then we kind of have to make a meaning. We kind of have to put a meaning to it. And that's just part of the human brain. Like we don't like things that are unsettled. We don't like we don't like not knowing. If we really care about something, we don't like not knowing, right? So um, the, 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 the Hukim can be challenging because we can have everybody and their, and their mama trying to make a meeting out of it. And, and it, it's difficult. So the, um, the, the really important thing about Hukim, I, I, this is the way I think about it. I think, so, uh, as a kid, you were, you were growing up, right. And your parents gave you instructions and if you watch any of our Shabbat teachings, you know that kind of for me, everything comes back down to a family in a, in a home, you know, and a mom and dad and kids. So as a kid, your parents probably gave you instructions, you know, um, clean your room, pick up the dishes, you know, put your clothes in the dirty clothes hamper or, you know, in the laundry room or whatever, um, you know, help sweep the floor, help blah, 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 whatever. All these instructions that we have, right? And that's what they are. They're instructions, the rules of the house, right? They're the Torah. They're the uh, the Torah Torah Habayit, I guess the 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 rules of your house, the the commandments of your house. And as a parent, you have those same maybe not the same Torah, you know, the same commandments or the same instructions for your kids, but you have your own. And uh, and that's what this is. So it's important for us to to as we come into Torah and start to understand it to to reduce it not in importance, but to reduce it into a way we can understand it. And so there are there's a big debate about well. Do we uh, do we wait to follow a commandment until we understand it, right? 
Uh, and that's where a lot of us ask this question. We're like, I don't understand the the purpose or the reason or the I don't know what I'm supposed to be under, you know, getting out of this doing these commandments, particular commandments. So I'm just not going to, you know, I don't want to follow something I don't understand. Or I don't want to do something I don't understand. And that's one side of the argument. The other side of the argument is, no, you, you do it to the best of your ability. And with that doing comes understanding. And I'm, I've kind of been on both sides of the, of the, the argument, on both sides of the, of the equation. Um, coming back to the, the family thing, you know, there are a lot of things that our parents instructed us to do. Or that we instruct our kids to do. Um, that as children, as, as kids, we don't understand why it's so important that we do these things, right? Um, for instance, my mom has this thing about clean shoes. That you never, ever leave the house with dirty shoes. And, you know, for the longest time, it's like, why, you know, my, my jeans can be, you know, staying in the grass from playing outside or whatever. But my shoes better be clean, <laughs> So, um, you know, just things like when you come in, speaking of shoes, when you come in and you take your shoes off, don't leave them in the middle of the door. Well, why do you do that? Well, so somebody didn't walk in and trip over them, right? Um, But more than that, place them together by the side of the door, wherever you put them together neatly. Well, why does that matter? Why can't I just throw them in the pile, right? I know this is getting weird. But anyway, there's there's all these, these things as parents that we try to teach our kids or that our parents try to teach us. That sometimes we understand and we get it and we go, oh, okay, you want me to clean my room because not cleaning it is nasty. Okay, I get that. Yeah, and you want me to live in a nice, clean place. But even in the things that we do understand, there are more levels. We understand as we get older that a cluttered space really does something to you mentally. It's not just about hygiene or just about order. It's that that order produces or that disorder produces a chaos in your mind. And uh, depending on, you know, like we talked about last week, how thinker or feeler you are, if you're really hyper feeler, then it can really it can really mess you up emotionally. And you just your life feels cluttered. Your mind feels cluttered. You just can't get direction. And that's generally or can be an indication that maybe your space, your physical space is out of order. Right. And so even in the, let's call those mishpatim, even in the thing, the rational things that we do understand, there are levels of understanding. The hukim are the things that our parents told us that we just went like, why is this important? Why are you on and on and on about this? And why do you stay on me about this all the time? And I just don't see, it's hard for me to do it because I don't understand why I'm doing it, right? And these are the hukim. And so... In inside of the the mitzvot, we have these two families of types of commandments, and uh, and types of mitzvot, hukim and mishpatim, and so this week's parsha is bechuk, which is chok, right? So be means in, chok, commandments, hukot, commandments plural, hukot tai the i a i ending is my is possessive. Okay, so B is in, Hukot is is um, uh, com- uh, is commandments, right? Super rational, not really easy to understand commandments. And then AI is a possessive, it's my. So Bahukotai is in my commandments. The AI, we should know from Adonai. Adonai doesn't mean Lord. Adonai means my Lord. Adon means Lord. Adon is Lord. Adonai is my Lord. So see... I'm not a 
expert in Hebrew grammar. I just think it's interesting to kind of understand how these words go together. And if you read Bechukotai and you don't see the chukot in it, the 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 chok, uh, and you don't know what that is, then it can it can kind of kind of handicap you from understanding what's going on in the parsha. Okay. So I, I want to just I really want to talk in this up in in today's show about one verse, and that's pretty much. Um, pretty much the, well, yeah, verse three is pretty much, pretty much it. Um, verse three of Vayikra 26. Now this chapter has a lot of stuff in it, right? This is akin to Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and curses. And I've encouraged you guys before to read those. They're really important. We'll talk about them a little bit, but I want to talk about verse three and I want to break it down into uh, really three phrases, Okay, so we start in Vayikra chapter 26, verse 3, and we have the first first phrase, if you will follow my decrees. So let's just work on that one for a second. So there's a lot in here. There's a lot of uh, a lot of goodness, a lot of wisdom in here. So the first word, if, right, the biggest word in Scripture, (laughs) the most difficult word in Scripture, two letters that that really evokes so much consternation, uh, focus, passion, questions, if, if you, right, if, if we will follow his decrees. So this idea of if, if you will, which I know this is simple, but I, I used to use this illustration all the time. This is a good place for it. In, uh, in geometry, if you'll remember back to your school days, in geometry, I know some of you guys, if you're not a math nerd, you probably hated geometry, and it was really tough depending on, on uh, your, you know, your course load and how, how your school or your teachers taught it. But I really struggled with geometry, especially when we got to this thing called proofs. How many of you remember proofs in geometry? I haven't talked about this in a long time. Proofs are these statements, right, that you that you make in, in geometry, they're called if-then statements. So you have two halves to a proof. The first half is the if-half, half, and the second half is the then-half. And the way it works, if you don't remember, in a proof is you have a condition, if such-and-such, then such-and-such. So if this is true, then this has to be true. And you have to balance both sides of the proof in order for the proof to work. And guys, the Bible, the scriptures are full of proofs. They are full of these if-then statements. Think about it. I never, I never realized this until many years after geometry, reading through the, the Torah and reading through the, the prophets and, and the gospels and realizing like, man, these are all if-then statements. So not to say that the Bible is, you know, stealing geometry principles, but I believe that, that these principles hold true universally. They're kind of cosmic principles, these if-then principles. And if we understand what proofs are about, if one side is true, the other side has to be true. You can't have a proof where one side is true and one side is not. Otherwise, the proof doesn't work. It all falls apart and you have to start over again. And you, and you you don't get a result, or you don't get a result that you want. And so, if we apply that to scriptural passages, 
the same kind of idea. We have this verse 3 that starts off with an if. Okay, so we know that we're, we're, we know we're in this territory, right? And so we're here. If you will do this. So the, the point of the bringing up the proof and all that kind of stuff is that this is our part. This is the part we have to make sure is true. Because the then part is going to be God's. Let's just, let's just read verse 4. Look, the first word in verse 4 is what? Then. So verse 3 is if, verse 4 is then. See? There you go. The then part, he says, then I will. Then I will. That's God's part, and we know that part is true, right? We know that God is faithful, that God will is loyal, that God is allegiant to not only us, but to his covenant and his promises to us. So the then part is a given. We know that part is true 100% of the time. So what is our focus then? Our focus has to be on the if part because that's our part. And if we want this, this thing to work out, we have to make sure that both sides are as true as each other. All right, that's the wrap up of the first segment. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. everybody welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio we were in parsha we are in parsha behukotai in my statutes or in my decrees and we're talking about the first phrase in verse 3 of chapter 26 of Vayikra, if you will follow my decrees so we're talking about if and how this if part has to be true because this is kind of like a geometric proof a, a, a proof in geometry where one side is true we know god's side is true he will do whatever he said he's going to do the part that we focus on is our part, the if part. And what is the if part? If we will follow his decrees. If you, you as, now we can take you to be a couple of different things. We can generally, in our Christian understanding, we can take you to be singular, and we usually do. We take any time the Bible says you as singular, meaning me personally, right? And while that is true, and while that is necessary, the I think the scriptural understanding, the Israelite understanding, for most of the time the Bible says you, is not primarily individual, but it's primarily communal, which is cool and challenging at the same time, right? So if you will, um, this is, uh, it, let's just talk about us for a minute. How, I mean, obviously, and I would think that most of you listening to my voice uh, have felt this this call, this invitation, uh, this urging, this conviction, we might say, to begin to keep some of the Torah or all of the Torah or as much as we can or you don't know yet, you're just trying to figure it all out, right? So let's talk about it on a personal level, if you will. So let's go back to our conversation in the first first half. How many of you guys have studied Torah for a little while and you realize there's a lot of stuff you don't understand? Uh, what about those things? Do you just do stuff you don't know why you're doing it? You're just doing it? 
Well, it depends on what side of that argument you fall on. Uh, you may be a kind of person that's like, nope, I'm not doing anything until I understand it, especially, especially if you are still dealing with some church hurt, um, which I don't say that derogatory way. I'm, I'm serious. It's a thing. If you're dealing with some church hurt and you come from a place where, you know, your tradition, church tradition, religious tradition, you just did a bunch of stuff that you never could find in the Bible. Now you realize you can't find it in the Bible and it was a detriment to you. It was a bondage to you. You're you're you know, you were hurt by it. Um, you, you're hurt by being lied to and, and those kinds of things. Um, then that attitude really is very, very strong. Nope, I'm not going to do anything unless I understand and I know scripturally why I'm doing it. Okay. And that is that, you know, I understand that. That's that's understandable for sure. Um, there is, however, a lot of wisdom to doing the things commanded in scripture, even though we don't, un- the things that we can do, right? Like don't, Bring, don't do offerings in your backyard. That's foolish. Uh, that actually violates the Torah. But the things that we can do are the wisdom we can extract from these commandments. It is important to begin to do them um, in some way, in your own way, whatever way works for you, and understand that that understanding will come as you do them. So Shabbat is a great example, right? Um keeping Shabbat. Well, how do I do that? Right. And, and the how is really important. It's an important discussion because we in the Messianic movement and the Hebrew roots movement are pretty divided when it comes to uh, how we do commandments. Everybody kind of does them the way they think they should be done. And that's fine. And I have no qualms with that. However, when we start to say, no, this is the way it should be done because this is what the Scripture says, well, what you're really doing is you're saying, this is my interpretation of what the Scripture says and how things should be done, right? Um, so there's only you know a, f- a few general laws for Shabbat, right? Don't work. Well, that's a whole conversation in itself. What is work? Um, you know, don't kindle a flame. Uh, the prophets tell us in Nehemiah, don't buy, you know, we don't buy and sell. There's not a whole lot of really detailed stuff about Shabbat. So we have to go, okay, well, how am I going to do this? I can do it based on scripture, which doesn't give you a whole, whole lot of, listen, 24 hours, 25 hours is a long time, right? Um, you guys know when you first start keeping Shabbat and you're not really sure what you're doing, you kind of get to where you're you're kind of twitchy a little bit, like okay, I don't know, you know, does does keeping Shabbat biblically mean like I sit in a dark corner in my house and I don't, you know, like what? There's a lot that goes into these commandments, so how we do them is important. So we can either go, I'm going to be sola scriptura, which I I don't espouse to, and we go like I'm only going to do what the scripture says. That's fine, but inevitably what's going to happen is you are going to create your own customs, okay? You're going to create your own interpretation, and you're going to create your own way of doing them that is that is not in Scripture. And that's not a bad thing. It's just life because things are going to happen. Life is going to happen. You're going to do things a certain way. Are you going to learn from someone else who has created their own customs and traditions? Again, which is fine. This is the way that life goes, and I believe this is the way the Torah was in, intended to be lived out, that the Torah gives a general idea of what God wants, 
and then we work to make that happen. Now, this goes back to the whole you statement. In Israel's case, the you was communal. It was the nation of Israel. So whenever they were trying to figure out how to keep a commandment and how to do it in a way that pleased Hashem, they came together as a community. And they had the Sanhedrin, the the men of the great council. They had judges. They had captains, right? We read about those over tens and hundreds and thousands, right? And they decided together, this is how we're going to do it because God commanded you, us, to do it, right? In our world, it's a little harder because maybe you don't have a fellowship to keep Torah with. Maybe you're in your own home and you're the only one doing it. Maybe your spouse is not on board. Maybe your kids are not on board or your kids are grown and gone or whatever may be the case. And so maybe you don't have a community to come together and debate and, and, and you know, negotiate and compromise and all the, and to figure out how to do it together. See, this is where the you debate comes in. Is you singular or is you plural? And the answer is yes. The answer is D, all of the above. The, the, the truth is that the community has to come together and figure out how they're going to do things. And then you as an individual, as a part of that community, you have to kind of, you have to be a part of the community. And so this, this thing is, is important to think about and talk about. Think like, wow, this is really complicated. It, it is complicated in a sense. And, and so for me personally, and OAM, if we ever have a question about how to keep a commandment or what to do with a commandment, we generally, majority of the time, default to the Jewish rulings on commandments. Now, that doesn't mean that we believe everything that Judaism as a whole believes. First of all, there's a lot of dynamic, uh, you know, dynamics in the in the religions of in the religion of Judaism, the sects of Judaism. There's a lot of give and take and a lot of disagreement even there. But we generally take the majority opinion. And we try to implement that as best we can. Now, why do we do that? Because I un- we understand the idea of you is a community. You being, in this context, you being the mixed multitude, now named Israel, that came out of Egypt, which included, right, blood, you know, blood Israelites, blood Hebrews from Abraham, and also included foreigners that came out with them. You, you, all of you, right? So for me, as a, it's logical, it's just logical that if I am attached to the you in this verse through Yeshua Messiah, I have become a part of the the greater commonwealth of Israel. If that is, if that is, if that holds true, then it's my responsibility as an individual of the larger community today called Judaism, but in Scripture, Israelite or Hebrew then it is my responsibility to be a part of the community as best I can. And I know that's challenging for folks, and that's okay. This is where I have come to. The, the, the detriment I see in the other way of doing and, and let me just say this, as a part of the community, it's not important that I only, let's take Shabbat again, and I go, well, I like the Jewish people like candles. Okay, I like candles. The Jewish people wear a tallit. Okay, I guess I'll wear a tallit. The Jewish people say these blessings. I guess I'll say these blessings. It's not, it's not enough to do that just to do what they do. It's important to understand why they do them as much as we can. And how do you do that? Well, guys, there are resources that we have today that history has never had. You can go online. You can go on your phone and download mobile apps that will give you the Mishnah, the Talmud, the the, the Tosefta, 
the I mean Gemara, the you know every the Zohar, all these writings that that you can actually read and go, oh, this is why they do it the way they do it. It may be a tradition that came up from somewhere, but it's part of the community. Okay, we have a responsibility as a part of that community, of the biblical community, of the covenant community, to understand our new culture. And I'm not, this is not an advocate. I'm like, I'm not advocating converting and all that stuff. What I'm saying is there, if you're deciding how you're going to do things and you want to look into the Jewish way of doing things, great, because they're the ones that were given the, the Jewish people were the ones that were given uh, charge to keep and guard the Torah, right? Uh, Judah from the prophecies in Genesis. And so it, it, we owe them that and it's, it's safety in community. They have the authority to decide these things. And if we're not going to do that, that's okay. Just realize that maybe there's eh, maybe there's a little bit of anti-Semitism still there. Maybe there's a little bit of church hurt there where it's this attitude where, like, I'm not letting anybody tell me what to do. I'm going to do it for myself because I know I can trust me. Well, can you? That's the question. Can we really trust ourselves? Sometimes. Sometimes not. We're not as trustworthy as we would like to think we are. So anyway, all of that said— how we keep is important, but the most important is if we keep. You don't want to light candles on Shabbat? Don't light candles on Shabbat, but do something to set it apart from the other days. Do something to make Shabbat, to mark the beginning of Shabbat, whether that's reading Torah with your kids, whether that's you know ordering out a nice meal or cooking a nice meal or whatever that may be, mark the beginning of Shabbat. Mark the end of Shabbat to where you've set aside that 24-hour period of Shabbat as something different than the other days, okay? And, and in every commandment, do the same thing. Do, some, do actively something. If you will follow, follow, keep, you will do my commandments, right? So corporately or individually, if you will, it's very important that we do these things. If we don't, then we can't claim the then part of the statement. So let's go on to the... Uh, the the next the next phrase, uh, if you will follow my decrees, and then the next uh, uh, commandment is and or the next phrase is and observe my commandments, and observe my commandments. So this observe, we have two words here. If you'll follow and observe, so the following part takes a lot of study. Right. And that's what we're all we all love this research. Well, I did my research and it looks like this and that. And I did my research and I did my research and I'm researching this and I'm researching that. And so the following part, the first part, following my decrees um, in the rabbinic understanding, the sages understood this to mean study. Right. We haven't really gotten to the do part yet in their in their estimation. This is study, intense committed, dedicated study of the, the commandments, of the mitzvot, of the Torah. That will lead, and that's what I was talking about. You know, doing these things, the 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 what we do is important. We have to study to find out what we should do because most of us are unlearning a bunch of stuff that we've been taught we should do that we realize that we that we're never really instructed to do. So we have to get in the Torah and we have to study what to do. And with this comes its own hang ups and its own challenges, right? Well, how much of the Torah can we keep? Well, actually a really, really small part of it. Um, and in some people's estimation, you know, those that think that the Torah really is not for us, none of it, <laughs> depending on where you fall in that spectrum. And the reason people say none of it is because this was given to Israel and we're not Israel. Um, I don't agree with that necessarily, but okay. 
And then even if we do believe we are Israel, then how are a part of Israel or in by, you know, association, adoption, whatever, how much of the Torah then do we keep? Well, um, depends if you're a man or a woman, right? A lot of the Torah is only for women. Guys, hands off. You don't keep those. You can't keep those. Women, same thing. Children, right? Secondly, um, we a lot of the, the commandments, we have this little phrase over and over and over in the, the Torah that we ignore, um, to our detriment, I believe, that talks about when you come into the land. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know that we're this land is your land, this land is my land, this man, land was made for you and me, but it's not the land of Israel. And so wherever you're listening from, if you're not in the land, a lot of these commandments just simply can't be kept in their fullness outside of the land. Thirdly, many of the Torah commandments are tied to the Mishkan, the tabernacle, or the temple. Well, we don't have a temple, and if we did, there's a fair chance that we wouldn't even be allowed to do them in the temple because we're not Jewish. So there's a lot of commandments there that are not able to be kept in their fullness. And I keep saying in their fullness because here's the thing. Just because we can't keep them technically correct doesn't mean that there isn't wisdom that we can't draw from them, okay? So I'm not saying, don't hear me say, well, golly, there's really none of the Torah I can keep. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, halakhically, technically, it's hard to keep a lot of these commandments for us who are not in the land of Israel, not Jewish, don't have a temple, etc., etc. However, we can draw wisdom from understanding how and why they were done and how and why they're done today, right? So the study is important. The study is the, the following part is super important. Okay. And the following leads or should lead to doing. Now, if you're studying and you realize like, well, I can't really keep, you know, X commandment here. I can't do it like that. That's okay. Do something, right? Do something. I'm not saying make up your own Torah. I'm saying, Find some wisdom in it and apply that to your life. Find some value, the treasure, the nugget, the pearl in why the, this commandment is done or when it can be done, why it can, what's the deal about it being done, and apply that somehow in your life. Building up your character, making sure that, that you're implementing this wisdom in your life, right? And so by, by, by studying, we should find, number one, what to do, number two, if we can do it, and number three, if we can't do it, how we can still apply the wisdom in some form or fashion into our lives. So following, let's talk about it as studying, observing my commandments, my mitzvot. Let's talk about that as the doing, the doing part, right? And, and, and the, the doing part as figuring out what to do and, and, and how, we can, how we can do them in our lives, right? So the next, the last phrase in this, uh, in this verse is um, to perform them, right? Um, we will, studying leads to doing. Doing will lead eventually, ideally, and eventually lead to performing. So what is the difference? Well, the idea is when I hear the English word perform, when you hear the English word perform, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind is is like a, a drama, putting on a show, not a show, not in a bad way, not like a fake show, but but preparing. Um, I don't know how many of you were in, in acting ever, a drama club, or you ever went in a, in a 
church play or whatever, a human video or, you know, all these things. But this idea of what does it take to perform if you play a musical instrument and you've performed before, if you're in athletics and you've performed before on the, out on the field or on the court, what does it take to perform? Well, number one, it follows the same, the same uh, trajectory. Number one is you have to understand and, and put a lot of study and a lot of practice into understanding what you're doing and why, right? Um, you know, for a musical instrument, you spend a lot of time what we call in the shed, right? Wood shedding, practicing scales, practicing tones, practicing, you know, uh, short pieces, practicing all practice, 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 practice. You spend a lot of time doing things that people never see. So you understand your instrument. You understand how you interact with your instrument. You understand what the music is asking. It's a lot of study, right? And then you, you're doing it. You're, you're doing it over and over and over and over until you get to the time where you can perform it. The same thing with athletics. You spend a lot of time in the weight room, on the field, you know, running, stretching, doing exercises, working on fundamentals, running plays, you know, doing all these things that the greater world never sees. Yeah. You study the game, you watch highlights, you, you know, you watch professional games, college games to see what other people are doing so that you can implement it. And that's all part of the study and doing part. If you'll follow and observe, it's that follow and observe part. If you'll observe and follow, that's the part that nobody sees. But then finally, it becomes game day or it becomes recital time, right? And now all of a sudden what happens is your audience has changed. It's not just you in a room, right, running scales on your instrument. It's not just you and your, you know, few teammates or you by yourself, you know, working on skills in the gym. It is now your audience has changed. When you perform something, you're doing it for someone else generally. Now, you can rehearse, but the actual performance is now you've got, you've got a, a time to, to take everything that you've done, all the woodshedding, all the gym time, all the workout time, all the preparation, all the study, all the, all the practicing. You've got that time now that it's time to show the world. And what is the purpose of performing? The purpose of performing is, number one, to show what you've, you've accumulated and to show your journey. Number two, though, it's also to evoke a response from your audience, right? Basketball players want to hear the crowd. Football players want to hear the crowd. Runners, right? Track and, track and field athletes. They want to hear that, that. They want to hear somebody cheering for them. My daughters are in competitive gymnastics. They, they want to hear somebody cheer for them. And know, not only know that they've done well for themselves, but that it evokes a response. For musicians, man, why do we play music? I've been a musician my whole life. Why do we play music? There's nothing. Like, you, know, you guys know a little bit of my history, but you know, playing in bar rooms and clubs, CD places when I was growing up as a kid in high school, there's nothing like being a part of a band and seeing the music that you're playing make people move. That's an awesome experience. Sometimes we don't view the, the mitzvot, we don't, do our, we don't view our, our observance of Torah as a performance. And I know performance can have a negative connotation, and please understand me, that's not what I'm talking about. I know performance can seem like fake and like, you know, all these things. That's not what I mean. I mean the best parts of performance, 
the work that goes into it, the preparation, the practice, the study, the drills, the again, the woodshedding that nobody else sees, so that when you come before your audience, you're prepared, you're confident, and it is a, you know, performances should not be this nail-biting, you know, sweating kind of thing. It should be, I've worked, and I've studied, and I've put in the time. So now, when it's time to actually do it, this is going to be a blast, right? The performance part should come easy if we've done the first two parts. And a lot of young performers, athletes, musicians, whatever, they don't understand this part, right? And so the performance part is really agonizing and really anxious when it shouldn't be. If we did the work we're supposed to do, then the performance should be the most fun part. The performance should be the most exciting part where we're like, let me at them. I can't wait to get out there and show everybody and show myself what we've done, you know, what, we've, what I've worked on and what I've become. And, and in the same way, I take this to this perform the, the commandments in, in our Parsha to mean the same thing, that when it comes time, who is our audience? Well, first and foremost, our audience is the king of the universe. Whew. That's heavy. Should we have not wanted to prepare and be on our best and, and, and let the commandments transform us and make us into something that we didn't think we could be, right? That's what the study and, the, and the, the doing, the practicing, the rehearsing does as we rehearse these commandments. That when it comes time to perform before our king, I can't wait. I can't wait to, to give my efforts, my study, and my practice over to Hashem as a gift. The Shabbat, the, the Moedim, the feast days. I can't wait to show Hashem, all that I've studied and all that I've learned and all that I've practiced and present this to him. It's awesome. This performance is for him. It's also for our community and those people around us to show as we do it together, to show the true image of God, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. That's what this is all about. So I hope this has been helpful. Just these three little phrases. There's a lot in here. So as you study this week's Parsha, hopefully this has been helpful. All right, I love you guys very, very much. Thank you for being a part of the show. And as always, we'll see you next week. Shalom, shalom.